Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and this is With Friends Like These. You probably saw a lot of images out of Minneapolis this summer. Most of them were of things burning, or conflict, or grief. Near the same part of town where George Floyd was killed by police, there was another kind of uprising taking place. It was also a response to the conflict playing out between the protesters and the city. What to do about the hundreds of people who had lived on the streets that now were a kind of battleground? A volunteer group of activists thought they had an answer in opening up a shuttered Sheraton about two miles away from where Floyd was killed. It would be open to all comers. The Share-A-Ton, as some people called it. But it wouldn't be part of the show if it worked out great, would it? The Share-A-Ton experiment ended in violence and chaos. As you'll hear, the question of why it went so badly isn't that hard to answer. The question you'll be wanting to think about is, what could they have done instead? With Friends Like These is brought to you by BetterHelp. You know, one of the things I'm actually grateful for in this pandemic time is that people have gotten to be honest when you ask them how they're doing. Because no one's doing great. It feels okay to say that. I'm not good, really. Are you good? Well, if you're good, I'm thrilled for you. But I suspect you're not great. And that is why I want you to have help. And BetterHelp can be that help. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment, making it so convenient you can begin communicating in under 24 hours. It's not self-help, it's professional counseling. Send a message to your counselor anytime and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room or drive anywhere or put on pants. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if someone doesn't work out. The service is available for clients worldwide, and it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. There are counselors with a broad range of expertise, which may not be locally available in many areas. Licensed professional counselors who are specialized in depression, anger, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, and trauma are there for you. Anything you share is confidential. You can check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. And in fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp, they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com friends. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. And again, that's betterhelp, better, H-E-L-P, dot com slash friends. Like any major city, Minneapolis has struggled to serve those experiencing homelessness. During the uprisings, you could argue they stopped even trying. Certainly, if anyone had thought through what was happening, they would have realized the crisis that was brewing in front of them. If you want everyone to get off the streets for an 8 p.m. curfew, what do you do with the people living on those streets? Yeah, so the mid, right behind or right north, just north of the Midtown building runs the, the Greenway runs, the Greenway bike path. Um, and that has often been a place where um, 
people without homes have, have found a place to be and to be safe under bridges uh, that run along that. And um, so during the uprisings, there were curfews, right? And uh, the National Guard had been given um, authority to use uh, lethal force <laughs> and to arrest and all kinds of things. It was awfully, it was awfully scary. Um, and so to be out of our building after eight o'clock, um, we as residents were super aware of trying not to do that. And then to think about our, our houseless neighbors, um, that was a scary thing. And so some, some people decided that the Sheraton being mostly empty would be a good place for those neighbors to move and suggested that. And it started happening. That's Carla Godwin. She lives next door to the Sheraton in the Midtown Exchange Building. She works for a family foundation in the neighborhood. At first, the Sheraton experiment seemed like a great idea. The hotel had been struggling and then it just closed. It was empty, but it still had city services. And as the city was being torn apart by violence, advocates and volunteers negotiated with the owner to buy a block of rooms that they would offer to people living under the city's bridges and out in the open. Of course, in the atmosphere of the Floyd protests, the volunteers quite understandably decided not to involve any city authorities. What's more, those with the most urgent need for housing were unhoused people who were either unlikely to be accepted at a traditional shelter or they wouldn't want to go to such a shelter. What if the volunteers allowed drugs and alcohol on site? What if they focused on just keeping people from overdosing rather than shepherding them into treatment? So the Share a Ton opened its doors on May 29th. It would be a radical form of the housing-first approach to homelessness. It would be an extreme form of harm reduction. Harm reduction is a great frame for a lot of policymaking. It's the frame for safer sex and needle exchanges and suboxone programs for opioid addicts. You can see how the volunteers might have seen what they were doing as part of that tradition. But it wasn't. Tabitha Montgomery works for the Powderhorn Park Neighborhood Association. Powderhorn encompasses the Sheraton and in general saw some of the city's worst damage during the uprising. She can explain the harm reduction model better than I can. I think that sometimes truly harm, a, a true harm reduction model is poorly understood and sometimes the language can be co-opted, but with good intention. I think that the truth of a, a harm reduction model is excellent when it's well-resourced, often when they have the right, uh, whether it be culturally um, relevant therapist and support and systems and doctors and others that will provide oversight to make sure a person is still well cared for and seen in the midst of um, navigating their addiction, right? There is truly a framework uh, and principles that go into how do you execute um, a harm reduction model well that does not create more harm. I believe in that. And I also believe that sometimes that language has been used to simply describe the fact that you have people who have decided not to judge someone for where they're at, for where they're at in life, right? And they may feel as if they're taking a harm reduction approach by not judging, by not excluding, by not filling in the blank, right? By not creating a barrier of access to something that a person who may be experiencing some type of um, relationship with substance abuse of some sort, um, that they're not precluded from access. And I believe that those intentions are wonderful. And yet I believe that it's, it's, um, it, it can be precarious to use harm reduction in that sense, right? Because I think it doesn't help us to keep in mind that a harm reduction model should still be resourced. 
and should still have adequate support and expert support to do it well so that more harm and unintended consequences does not prevail. But that's not me saying that I would that I don't support individuals modeling and choosing a life where they are trying to live absent of judgment. Going to jump in for some ads right now. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Stamps.com. As I mentioned, new house, which means a lot of shipments, which means a lot of returning things. I am using Stamps.com right now as much as I did at Christmas. Let's face it, taking trips to the post office is probably not how you want to spend your time, especially with the new moving in for me. That is why I recommend mailing and shipping online at Stamps.com. Stamps.com allows you to mail and ship anytime, anywhere, right from your computer, send letters, ship packages, and pay a lot less with discounted rates from UPS, USPS, and more. Stamps.com has saved businesses thousands of hours and tons of money. With Stamps.com, you get the services of the post office and UPS all in one place and big discounts. Now, I don't like going to the post office in normal times. I am not sure who does. I especially appreciate it right now. And Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS right to your computer. Stamps.com is a must-have for any business, including a small one like mine. Whether you're a small office sending out invoices, an online seller shipping out orders, or even a giant warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. It is that simple. With Stamps.com, you get discounts of up to 40% off post office rates and up to 62% off UPS shipping rates. Not to mention, Stamps.com is a fraction of the cost of expensive postage meters. It's a no-brainer. It saves you time and money. It's no wonder nearly one million small businesses already use Stamps.com. Stop wasting your time going to the post office and go to Stamps.com instead. There is no risk. And with my promo code FRIENDS, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts are necessary. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in FRIENDS. That's Stamps.com promo code FRIENDS. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. Now, you're going to hear a lot about moving from me. And the good and bad thing about a new place is buying new stuff, right? And there's stuff that you kind of don't think of at first. Laundry soap, olive oil, dish towels. But there's one place you can get all of those things and get them with a minimalist design that feels as clean and new as the house itself. Public Goods is your one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality, everyday essentials made from clean ingredients at an affordable price. Everything from coffee to toilet paper and shampoo to pet food. Public Goods is your new everything store, thoughtfully designed for the conscious consumer. Now, rather than buying from a bunch of single product brands, Public Good members can buy all of their premium essentials in one place with one beautiful streamlined aesthetic. Public Goods searches the globe to find clean, healthy, eco-friendly, and innovative products. Now, my new place has a compost pickup, so I'm especially excited about reducing my waste footprint with all the compostable stuff Public Goods has. Trash bags, bamboo flatware, food wraps, even cleaning wipes. 
They plant one tree for every order placed and incorporate sustainability into every part of the company. Join hundreds of thousands of others who have switched to their new everything store. Now, we've worked out an exclusive deal for with friends like these listeners. Receive $15 off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right. They are so confident you will love their products and come back again and again. They're giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. You have nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com slash friends or use code friends at checkout. That is P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash friends and receive $15 off your first order. So things went okay for about a week and then things got out of hand. Yeah, they fucked this place up, huh? Hey, you know anyone up on the roof? You know anyone up on the roof fucking shit up over here? No, Sorry. I don't know about nobody on the roof. Somebody supposed to be on the roof last night. I've been to this motherfucker. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this ain't cool, man. This ain't cool. That's from a video taken by Carla's neighbor, Matisse. He was surveying the damage inside the hotel. Broken glass, garbage, just total destruction. He also wanted to get up to the roof because someone up there had been shooting at people. Yeah, this is this is just beyond. All right, so I mean, fuck, man, we need some backup. (laughs) Here's Carla again. Her view of the Sheridan came from being up all night with other residents standing watch at the glass door entryways of their building. And I think it's disconcerting to feel that that you can truly want good and still do harm, you know. Um, And I, so you know, as the nights went on. Eventually, the, the volunteers um, decided that they were not going to continue running the plate, that it was, it was not safe. So several of the residents uh, left. They weren't feeling safe, and so they left. Then the volunteers left. And then the building was really taken over by, um, by people who had malintent, who, who wanted to use it, wanted to continue to use it for the sex trafficking or the, the drug use. She and her neighbors watched as the Sheraton became more and more unsafe. And we watched as uh, people just bashed in the windows of one of the, like, shuttle vans that was still in the parking lot. Just just sort of evening time. It wasn't dark. <laughs> and they just bashed in all the windows, and we just sat there and watched. Um, and then, because what, you know, what were we going to do? But it was just such a strange thing to see, sort of broad daylight, and no, like, no, just nothing. And then... Um, that same friend and some other friends actually went through the building because uh, some kids were up on the roof shoot, just shooting guns. I remember I laid in bed next to my six-year-old, you know, a week and a half after everything and just listened as like 30 gunshots were fired off the top of the building. Um, and my neighbor uh, was watching. You know, he was looking out his window and we were texting and he was watching gunshot, you know, gunshots just being fired off the top of the building and, you know, called called the police and the police never came. And then eventually the report came out that they said it was fireworks and we all watched it and heard it, it was not fireworks. So um, it just felt like no one had clarity or was willing to like figure out what needed to be done. That the Sheraton experiment was devolving so badly and so quickly was completely foreseeable though that doesn't make it any less of a tragedy or any less disappointing. The reality is many um, interpretations can be true 
in terms of what took place, right? I think that what grounds me or what I'll attempt to do to ground my response is to really focus on how do you as a community member or group of organizations within a community respond to an emergency or a crisis? I think what took place last summer in part um, certainly is something that is reflected in what is continuing to take place with respect to the pandemic or any additional emergency or crises and how it plays out and creates additional disparities in brown communities, BIPOC communities, low wealth communities, communities that might have a history of some form of marginalization. And it always has a deeper, more grievous impact. And I think that um, the idea that here you had a very scrappy and serious um, group of residents who decided to raise their hand and say, let's activate, let's see if we can support people who are caught up in the same emergency that every other housed resident in our community was facing in terms of the fires raging along the corridor and concerns about um, white supremacists coming into the community or some of the, what I would believe is a small number of existing community members willing to do property damage or harm in the midst, right, of a pandemic and in the midst of grappling again with calls for racial justice, not only in our corner of the world, but globe. And so what I, what I would say is that, yes, people decided to activate who I believe did not have enough resources and did not have enough experience to attempt to hold the community and support the community in the way that the community needed for a very vulnerable population. And yet, for me as a, a community partner, the real tragedy for me is the fact that they should not have had to. So, the end of the experiment. The volunteers abandoned the site. They were in over their head. One person died as a result of an overdose. Neighbors and volunteers saw evidence of sex trafficking. The activists were in over their heads. On June 9th, the owner of the hotel stepped in and ordered everyone out. By that point, over 200 people were living there. And we should note, of course, not everyone was part of the problem. But those people shooting guns and the violence, the lack of medical care, it wasn't safe for anyone anymore. And everyone had to leave. It had been less than two weeks since the Sheraton opened its doors. And everyone had to go somewhere. The problem that the Sheraton was trying to solve hadn't gone away. Many of those people moved to the neighborhood green space, Powderhorn Park, a situation that brought its own set of crises and conflicts, though in a slightly more familiar context. And that is a story for another day. Let's bring back Tabitha to explain a little more. I believe that we saw as a neighborhood organization an immense amount of support from housed residents and collaboration with unhoused residents at the very beginning of when residents who are unhoused began to occupy the park for shelter, right? There was an immense amount of support. There was an immense amount, I, I believe, of residents reaching out to elected leaders and appointed leaders and saying, what are we going to do? How are we going to support our neighbors? An immense amount of do donations began pouring in goodwill from all corners of our communities recognizing, again, the magnitude of the emergency. So there was a lot that was unlocked and unleashed, what I would call goodwill and intention into that space, wanting to walk alongside people who had less than 
um, what a person might say was a traditionally housed resident. And the, the hardship of that becomes palatable. The community did not have the resources of the, or the muscle, right, or the practice to be left in a state of emergency for months. Time for an ad break. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Word Collect. Keeping your body in shape is important, but it's also important to keep your mind sharp. I've been leveling up my focus with Word Collect. Word Collect is my new favorite game. It's a word puzzle app. It's free. It has over 2,000 levels, so I don't get bored. It starts easy and gets hard. It's fun and can be addicting, and you grow your vocabulary. And right now, Word Collect is offering you 2,500 coins and 500 gems when you download and play. That'll help you play longer, level up, whatever. What I like about Word Collect is it's not like high pressure, and it's simple enough you can play it while you're like waiting for something else. You can play it and put it down if you can, or you can let yourself get sucked in. It's a low stakes game in the best way. You don't count your turn in lives. You don't have to learn any new tricks. You just make sense of a jumble. If only life were like that. Am I right? Stop mindlessly scrolling through social media and keep your mind sharp instead. Just go to the Apple or Google store and search for Word Collect. If you're like me, you want to get fit in the new year in your mind. Download Word Collect for free today. I am thrilled to announce our new sponsor, Nebbia. It's a showerhead and I am genuinely in love. It might be the highest tech thing in my house, and I'm including my Wi-Fi enabled stove. It is backed by Tim Cook, designed by Tesla, NASA, and Apple engineers who wanted to make a luxury shower that didn't waste water. So the Nebbia by Moen spa shower has twice the coverage and half the water usage of standard shower heads. And maybe you're like me. I have fine but dense hair. I have to rinse it for half an hour to get the shampoo out. With Nebbia, the water itself is dense, and I have to find a new excuse to stay in the shower for half an hour longer than strictly necessary. If you can change a light bulb, you can install it yourself. It looks modern, but it's classic, so it goes with just about anything. It comes in white and chrome, spot-resistant nickel, matte black, and black and chrome. Now, I just moved to a new house. And it is teeny tiny, teeny, teeny tiny. The bathroom is the size of a phone booth and it doesn't have a bathtub. And I thought I would miss bathtubs because long, hot baths are a big part of my self-care toolkit. Friends, I do not miss the bathtub because Nebbia is like a, a standing bath. I put my Kindle in a baggie, I open up a seltzer, and I read in the shower. It is actually kind of awesome. Nebbia offers accessories such as shower shelves, shower curtains, hooks, and bath mats. I have the bath mat in a really cool gray and white pattern that looks nice and crisp, but I can get away without washing it too often, which is okay because it's also antimicrobial. The Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower starts at $199, and for With Friends Like These listeners, we have a deal. The first 100 people who use the code FRIENDS at Nebbia.com will get 15% off all Nebbia products. Nebbia rarely does deals like this, so jump in. Go to Nebbia.com slash friends, that's N-E-B-I-A dot com slash friends to check out what they have to offer. The first 100 people to use the code friends when checking out will save 15% on Nebbia products. Again, that's Nebbia.com slash friends, offer code friends to save 15%. 
So what could they have done differently? What can we learn from this? Now, superficially, don't put yourself in charge of an experiment in harm reduction without having some experience in the policy and lots of roots in the community or trying to help. That's a pretty good lesson. And sure, don't do that. But the real problem started before those volunteers arrived on the scene. The real problem is that our various systems for providing housing mostly aren't prepared to help the people the Sheraton was trying to help. And that's bad. Because there's always a Sheraton situation waiting to happen, which is to say there is an unhomed population that does not fit into traditional models for providing housing, even those that practice a pretty generous housing first model. These people live on the streets because the life they live isn't compatible with going elsewhere. These people exist everywhere, and there are a thousand things that could uproot them from what they call home. An uprising, sure, but also a natural disaster or an infrastructure collapse or a polar vortex. So what if, let's say, we treated these people being forced from their homes the same way we do other people who are forced from their homes because of a crisis? The Red Cross doesn't quiz anyone about their habits when they direct people to temporary shelters. And when you arrive at a Red Cross shelter, people are there to help you find the next place to go. There's a plan to get you what you need and on to someplace more stable. This kind of emergency shelter may be temporary, but it's not improvised. The idea that you can give unhoused people something resembling structure without asking them to give up their agency is expressed in what advocates call tiny villages. Here's Sheila Delaney. She's a longtime advocate for Minneapolis residents experiencing unsheltered homelessness. She and a nonprofit in the Twin Cities are working on these low barrier options for people to get help and move eventually to permanent shelter. Right now, um, at least in our region, there are a lot more resources for families. And so this, this specific project is targeted for single people and couples, but not for children. Um, and and the reason that we came up with the idea is because we, well, I and several other of my friends and colleagues worked closely with people who um, were living outdoors and who had recently been living outdoors. And they really liked the idea of um, tiny homes. I'm also a volunteer with Envision, which is a permanent outdoor tiny home community. And that that project was co-created with people directly experiencing homelessness. So people said they like, especially over and over and over and over. Um, I mean, I, I think we all do. Part of people's um, lack of interest some of the time into going to congregate shelters is the, the perception of a lack of autonomy. Also, you have to remember this the 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 concept came to fruition. It was we landed on it, so to speak, in June, um, in the midst of COVID, and looking around at the fact that many congregant shelters in our area had shifted to a hotel-based model to prevent COVID. So we looked at having shelters. The idea of these tiny villages has been around for a while. The onset of the pandemic has made the idea that much more appealing. You can self-quarantine in a tiny village. You can practice social distancing in a tiny village. But you can live as a couple if you want to. When I first saw this story playing out in my city, I found myself rolling my eyes at the volunteers. Not because they went too far in their efforts to reduce harm, but because I looked at them and I saw a bunch of well-meaning white people barging into a situation thinking they knew best. 
stopping people from doing that kind of shit is why this show exists. But let me let you in on a little trade secret. Whenever I find myself thinking that exact thought, oh boy, look at these arrogant white people, when I catch myself thinking that thought, it is time for me to look in the mirror. Because I am, and this is no secret, a well-meaning white person, and I fuck up all the time. I say something hurtful, I do something that keeps someone from feeling fully human, or I waltz along in my privilege without seeing what I'm doing at all. So what makes me different from the Sheraton volunteers? At least they did something. I'm not kidding. They caused a lot of chaos, but they stepped in when, you know, I didn't. As we look at, think about all the mutual aid efforts that cropped up over the, during this, these um, instances, where people legitimately and willingly and enthusiastically raised their hands to help, but there wasn't the infrastructure to coordinate it, to help it to operate in harmony, like we see that the Red Cross is able to do with their volunteer um, driven, fueled um, approach to intercepting emergencies. And so that's me saying, clearly, we don't have to start from scratch with what can we do differently. We've laid out a policy recommendation in this show. But I also want to suggest that the opportunity to do something about homelessness comes up almost every day for every one of us. I'm not talking about giving money to someone with a sign, although feel free to do that. I'm talking about not allowing yourself to unsee that person as soon as you pass by. Advocates for those who live on the street talk a lot about dignity. It's often the most valuable thing the unhoused have. And dignity is free. It doesn't cost anything to give someone dignity. There are caveats I could offer about safety and whatnot, but I'm going to assume you can practice good judgment. It's also just pretty safe to look a person in the eyes and say sorry and mean it if you don't have cash that day. And it's definitely safe to just notice the people living under the highway on your way to work. See them. Notice them in the same way you would any neighbor. Because that's what they are. As you probably know, Gentrification exacerbates the problem of homelessness. We'd like to point you to an organization in Minneapolis that pushes against those forces and empowers the young people of its community to transform their own neighborhoods. For more than 20 years, Juxtaposition Arts in North Minneapolis has given youth from all backgrounds a place to learn skills to become professional artists. They offer classes in design, visual arts, textiles, and they undertake projects like murals and skate parks. They designed six murals now on the walls of the new Lake Street Target, built after the original building was destroyed in the protest. Those murals honor the protesters and activists and remind everyone to continue to say their names. Roger and Deanna Cummings founded the organization in 1995 because they wanted to give underrepresented youth a chance to express themselves. It started out as an after-school program in a nearby park, but has grown to a whole city block of studios and gallery spaces. Today, Juxtaposition Arts has a $2 million goal to expand their programming once again. They are just $300,000 short. You can donate by going to juxtapositionarts.org. That's juxta, J-U-X-T-A, positionarts.org. This show is a production of Crooked Media. This episode was produced and reported by Allison Herrera, and I am really excited to bring you more of her work in coming weeks. 
Louis Lino engineers the podcast, and Izzy Margulies helps wrangle our guest and do research. Whitney Pastrick knows better than to make bookers mad. And that's it for the show. It's been a week. <laughs> it's been a week for a few weeks now. So all I have to say, stay warm, stay safe, be grateful for those things, and take care of yourselves. Thank you.